0: He rode like a mist rolls through a glade in the early morning, his billowing coat behind him like a ghostly veil and the first rays of light breaking down the glint in his eyes. His thick, bushy mustache drooped down over his mouth, hiding the rows of sharp fangs made to tear flesh from bone. Dogs bayed ahead of him, sharp barks to frighten prey and communicate presence in equal measures. Hoelecto, Poppy, Samuel! He called in a tone not too dissimilar to that of his hounds, and they slid out from the mist of his duster as if they had been at his side all this time. He got off the back of his steed with ease, spurs clinking against the uneven forest floor beneath his feet, and he stepped up to a thorn bush with a weight to each stride that left a thick imprint in the soft soil. Droplets of rain clung to the thick undergrowth from the previous night, staining his brown leather boots and the bottom of his worn duster coat. Giving little care for the wetness around him, the huntsman squatted down and grabbed one of the brambles with a gloved hand, thrusting it aside as he dug further into the tussled plant, searching for something. And then he dragged it out, cradling the small item closely as if it was the most delicate of birds' eggs, holding it gently in his massive fists. The dogs barked and sniffed behind him, roused to a fervor at the smell of whatever he had found. But he paid them little mind as he brought it up to his face to inspect it, to smell it, and finally to slip his long, serpentine tongue out to taste it. It was a shoe, small enough to fit on a doll, a polished, red low-cut shoe, a ballerina's shoe with a torn band. He tasted it again then nodded to himself and pocketed the little item gently in a leather satchel at his side, taking off the wide-brimmed hat he was wearing for a moment. His silvery-white hair haloed his scalp, which was completely bald, and it reached down to his shoulders, and as the protective shade of the hat went missing, the denizens of his hair, millipedes, worms, and beetles, all scurried to slither closer to his skin, shying away from the encroaching sunlight. She's close he muttered, laying a hand on his chest slowly to where his heart had been. Something moved beneath his coat and his shirt and his flesh, something greedy and impatient. She has help, three other refugees. Let me have them and I will deliver her to you untouched. For a few moments the writhing thing grew still, as if contemplating his offer, and then it resumed at an increased pace which made the huntsman smile. His shark-like teeth a dull yellow, only a few shades lighter than his sallow skin. Fine. Two will suffice. He crouched down again and sniffed the air around the thornbush, the smell of blood unmistakable. Blood. And regret. He would be adding two more hounds to his kennel tonight. Maybe he would let them keep their minds, if they behaved. After all, it was about time for Poppy to learn to walk on two legs again. He stood up and walked over to his steed, gripping the reins tightly as he threw himself up in the saddle and set off once more. Soon he would find them, and he would warn them, and then he would hunt them. The thing squirmed once more, and he clutched a hand to his chest, whispering a curse older than time as he drove his spurs into the side of his horse. Two more hounds, but he could settle for one. The huntsmen ruled Arcadia long before the gentry came to their domain. When the lands are of no interest to their masters, the Arcadian wilderness will, without fail, revert to a state of just that. A deep and dark forest, all signs of civilization gone, and countless eyes watching in the dark, in a hunt as old as life itself. This is their domain. This is how Arcadia was. The huntsmen embody the age-old relationship of prey and predator, yet they have been forced to swear fealty to their true fey masters. They must obey their commands, and the one uttered more often than any other is, bring them back. The gentry have many lost at their beck and call, kidnapped over the years, dragged kicking and screaming through the hedge, and then put to use. Sometimes these lost have lost their master's interest, and their escape is a quiet, unnoticed thing. But no matter how unimportant a changeling servant was when they were still there, their absence will, without fail, incense the gentry. Their desire to have, to own, is stronger than any other, and they will not tolerate such a grievous insult and petty thievery of their property. Thus they will call for the huntsmen, these ancient hunters of the forest, whose mastery of tracking, capturing and returning their prey is legendary. There they will tear out the heart of their servant, their precious still-beating heart, and hide it in the dreams of a mortal, only the gentry knowing where they put it. Then they will put one of their own titles into the void left behind, pouring it in like liquid hunger, their desire and greed made manifest, and from then, until their prey is returned, the huntsman is possessed by an overwhelming urge to find and bring back the lost property. Nothing else matters. The hunt will begin, and it will inevitably end with a confrontation. But there are ways this is done, there are traditions, Once the huntsman finds their prey, once they have watched them for weeks, if not months, bribing hobgoblin spies to learn their secrets and and taking careful notes of their habits, the herald must be sent. This can be a bird, a whisper in the wind, or their most beloved briar hound, approaching the prey and cajoling them to return, to warn them of what is to come. When the herald is sent, the huntsman already knows all they need to know about their prey. They have lived their life, eaten their food. The hunt commences and the prey knows that they are no longer safe, nor will they ever be as long as the huntsman is on their tail. Even worse, the title in their chest knows their prey as well. They know what psychological damage frays their mind, tears at their courage. The Changeling will know no peace until they confront their hunter, until they face the threat of their pursuer. In fact, many Huntsmen will refrain from outright acts of aggression until the Changeling makes the first move, seeing just how far they can push before they are pushed back. It requires a tremendous force of will for a Changeling to remain unresponsive as they catch sight of the huntsman in the corner of their eyes, saying hello to their retired parents, or stopping their car to let the children of the school the Lost works at cross the road. A huntsman can be killed, temporarily, by destroying their body. They are not invulnerable, untouchable, but as long as their heart remains safe, they will never truly die. Within a month of their destruction, they will be whole once more, resuming their pursuit, and only by either destroying or returning their heart will the hunt end. If the changeling pursued would find the heart, hidden away on the dream bastion of a sleeping mortal, they will have a bargaining chip beyond compare. For would the heart of a huntsman be destroyed, so too would their existence end. But should it be returned to them, they would, at least for a while, be free of the gentry's control over them. Huntsmen are defined by their tools, even more so when their heart is removed. At least two, often more, these tools remain a constant regardless of what shape or form the huntsman takes. For that too is one of their powers. Like their masters, they are able to change their appearance, their clothes, even their voices. But their tools will remain constant, and that is how they will be known by their prey. Eventually the huntsman will either be destroyed, have their heart returned to them, or bring the lost back to their former masters, in chains of cold iron if need be. This is how it has to be, for the title hidden within their chest allows for no other options. It hungers and desires for their possession Return to them, and the huntsman is unable to disobey. Their heart, meanwhile, locked away in a dreamer's bastion, suddenly influences the mortal under its sway, making them dream of hunting in deep and dark woods. Until the heart is removed from their dreamscape, these dreams will continue, and no huntsman, no matter how skilled an oniromancer they are, will ever be able to find their missing heart. Yet once within the hedge, on their way towards Arcadia, the changeling may be able to sway their captor to allow them to search for their missing heart. Indeed, the huntsman may become more susceptible to suggestions like this, as the hedge is only a skip and a jump away from the dream after all. And should the Lost find it, they may return it in exchange for an oath from the Huntsmen to leave them alone. But it is of course rarely an easy task, as the true Fae are sure to have set up some manner of protection around the Heart as well. And even if they have not, the dreamscape of a Bastion may prove challenging enough on its own. One of the things that make the Huntsmen so dangerous is that they are not susceptible to the banality of the real world. They have nothing to fear from the mortal world, and may stay there for as long as they wish. This means that they are in no particular hurry to end the hunt, aside from that burning need anchored into their chest. But even that can be subdued by staying close to their prey. Likewise, Cold Iron offers no threat to the huntsmen. They are not fey, after all, and thus it bears them no ill will. Huntsmen do not feel the way we do, or even if they used to, when they are missing their heart, they do not. Ghosts of emotions may remain, vague mimicry of how they would otherwise react, but all their emotional energy is instead invested in pursuing and fulfilling the desire of the title held within their chest and thus retrieving their heart. They bear no ill will towards the lost, generally, and only really resent their own masters, the gentry and even then they have served them for so long that many have just resigned themselves to their fate, hoping instead to relish in a good hunt and that it may fill that void in their soul. Alecto whimpered, tried to stand, but the cut across her throat would not stop bleeding, and he put her out of her misery with a face that revealed no emotion. Her body gave one last shudder before it shifted, becoming once more the young woman he had hunted so many years ago the one that had tricked him into returning her fetch, and who had offered to serve him instead if he did not reveal it. Now she was finally free, and the huntsman turned his head slowly to look at the four lost cornered in the rundown motel room they had been staying in for the last two weeks. The knife lay by the unconscious ballerina, his prey, the one he had been sent to pursue. The three others put up no fight. They saw what he had done to the one who killed his hound. You are lost." His voice boomed even when he whispered. This world remembers you not. You have no purpose, no home. Return from whence you came, or serve me as she did. Deny me, and I will drag you all back by your hair. The young man's lips quivered, but then he stepped forward, nodding. The huntsman would have smiled, but he felt nothing not even when he unclasped Alecto's collar and handed it to the Lost. This video was brought to you by my patron Prozion, who desired to learn more about the enigmatic foes of the second edition of Changeling, The Lost. I hope I have scratched that itch, and thank you for your support.